Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist based in Los Angeles, specializing in trauma and addiction. Welcome to our podcast, which is called It's Not About the Sex, also the name of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints brand new perspectives, and practical tools toward living a deeply connected life. Let's get started. Well, I'm here again with my friend and colleague, Sue Merlino. I'm so glad you can join us again today. It's awesome having you. And we are here today to have a conversation about the nervous system. And we're going to talk more about what that really means as we get going with our discussion. But what I wanted to mention is that this is a chapter in my book, and it's a really important chapter because I believe that a lot of folks in recovery, and in particular in recovery from sex addiction, don't really pay attention to their nervous system. So this afternoon, you and I are going to pay attention to the nervous system and maybe each other's nervous system. Who knows where our nervous systems are going to go? All right. Sounds a little deep. Yeah. We'll see what happens. (laughs) I didn't really think that you could separate your systems, but um, I'm going to take your word for it. Yeah. Well, the more I learn about the nervous system, it's it's kind of the hub of the wheel. I mean, it it, it affects everything in, in our lives and inside of us. And so, yes, there's a lot of different systems going on (laughs) internally and externally. But today we're going to talk about regulating the nervous system. All right. Excellent. But before we do that, let's chat a little bit about um, your story. And I know you started off as a traditional talk therapist. Um, Then you trained to become a somatic experiencing practitioner. And now you've gone on to um, be trained as a brain spotting practitioner. That's right. Yeah. Can you unpack that a little for us? I'll do my best. It's it's, it's an unusual (laughs) unfolding, but basically in a nutshell, I was trained very traditionally back in the early 90s, and talk therapy focuses primarily on thoughts and feelings, right? We ask our clients, how are you feeling today? Do you have any thoughts about that? And so it's very much about what the, the emotions are saying and what the cognitive thoughts are saying which is helpful. Don't get me wrong. That's something that I still do today. I always want to know what's going on with someone's thoughts and feelings. But what I ran into was I would have clients again and again and again who would just run into walls with certain ways of of feeling better. Mm -hmm. And I would get frustrated because generally it it was related to trauma from their past. And generally it was related to something that really was beyond thoughts and feeling. So let's let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So thoughts and feelings and running into walls. Yes. So it's kind of just sounds like to me it's like repetitive patterns and not really learning or being able to break those habits like just you keep going into over and over and over again. That's absolutely part of it. I, I agree that, that patterns and themes are repetitive And oftentimes when we're asking people about, well, what's happening, you know, with your thoughts right now, how how do you think about that? How do you feel about that? It does get to a certain point of awareness and understanding. 
Absolutely. Because to know one's themes and patterns is the first step, right? Right. So with trauma, it's generally a little bit different. And because I equate addiction with trauma, meaning that I've never met an addict that hasn't had some level of trauma in their background Mm -hmm. of some sort, that the trauma, as we know nowadays, gets stuck in a part of the brain where the body remembers, right? There was a book many years ago actually called The Body Remembers. And that book was really uh, such a foundational book because it, it, it had the premise that not only was it in our thoughts and feelings, but that something was getting stuck. Mm-hmm. And just to get fancy for a moment, <laughs> okay. what we know now is that things that are too much to process at the time get stuck or stored in the subcortex. Okay. And, in, and then in doing that, is there some sort of disconnect? Oftentimes there is, yeah. because if somebody isn't able to access those stored memories then they they actually cause dysregulation or what we might call um, some, a simple way of thinking about dysregulation is just not feeling like yourself, okay. like feeling maybe panicky or feeling rageful or feeling depressed or feeling disconnected. Those are all forms of dysregulation. So you're unable to go follow that path like when I'm, I'm picturing just like you have all these things stored like you said and then you can't retrieve it so you don't know what the right e- exit is or like how to deal with something in that instance because it's just not accessible yeah, yeah i mean just to go on for a moment about the subcortex because the subcortex is kind of like the uh, going to costco You go to Costco and there's lots and lots of things on the shelves, like so many things, it's almost overstimulating. And that's what the subcortex does. It it actually stores lots and lots of memories and images and things that happened in the past that were just too much to deal with at the time. Okay. So you've got all these shelves full of stored memories. And in traditional therapy, we focus on the thinking brain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which sometimes we call the neocortex. Okay, so the neocortex is helpful, but it can't access the subcortex. Only the body can access the subcortex. Oh, okay. And that's where I started to see some of my favorite colleagues do some training in different types of therapies like somatic experiencing which focus on, on the brain-body connection, mm-hmm. as well as brain spotting, which also focuses on the brain-body connection, but through the, uh, the visual field, right, through the eyes. Cool. So, yeah. like, somatic, I remember when you, went, we were, when you were studying all this, mm-hmm. and I remembered the, there was an example with a tiger, and mm-hmm. I, can you explain that a little bit? I know we're not... We're, jumping off on a tangent here a little bit but I, I just thought that I was trying to recover that memory um, to help share because someone brought up a somatic experience and we're talking about animals and how they deal with fear and I'm like well I don't think they really deal with it the same way we do but that's right I was trying to retrieve this so if you could just explain that to me again that would sure. be great uh, this story is actually something that we learn in our very first module of somatic experiencing training, and it comes from Peter Levine's book called Waking the Tiger. 
And what they showed us was a video of a tiger in the wild getting ready to pounce on a gazelle. And the gazelle notices that there's this predator nearby and actually plays dead, right? The, the gazelle knows instinctually wow. to play dead and, and to look as if it's, it's not alive. It's not interesting, actually, to the tiger. The tiger only wants to go after prey that's still alive. Mm -hmm. So it, it, there's something about that connection that the tiger just had no interest in the gazelle. So it works. It does work. But this is the interesting part. Okay. It gets better. <laughs> so the gazelle, when it comes out of that frozen state, actually starts to shake and looks like it's going through almost like an epileptic seizure. Because, do you have a, a guess why it's, it's releasing all that energy? What, what, why it's having all that energy that, that's needing to come well, out? Well, I would assume that's your adrenals are just like pumping and filling yeah. you up with cortisol and all that's that right. stuff. That's right. Yeah. Right. And, and in the case of the gazelle that played dead, it was high energy, right? It had lots of adrenaline and maybe cortisol, I believe, um, pumping through it. But then when it played dead, it just stopped. And so it had to release all of that traumatic energy. That's what we would call it, a traumatic memory, a traumatic energy. And sure enough, it, it shakes it all off. And within a couple minutes, pounces away. As and if it, nothing happened. As if nothing happened. But this is where it gets tricky in terms of human response versus animal response. As humans we generally don't allow ourselves to go through that process of releasing that energy, of discharging that energy. Instead, what we end up doing is we end up trying to hold on and be brave and, and go forward. And, and generally, we don't have the space or the containment to feel like we can just let that energy out, just like the gazelle did. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it gets stored in the neocortex. Ah. Sorry, I got that wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it gets stored in the subcortex, okay. right? So um, they're easy to forget. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not a brain expert, but, um, but I try and keep the two, um, in my mind, right. organized. But the, the subcortex is really going to hold on to that. So for instance, let's say somebody gets involved in a really bad car accident. Oftentimes... If, if they have a really good paramedic, the paramedic will let them shake. But oftentimes people around them will actually say, it's okay, let me, let me just hold you and, and yep. you don't, everything's okay. And, and the, the feeling that most people go through is, I, I don't want to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, um, to, be, to show too much emotion. Um, and not all the time, but many times... It, it gets stored okay. and that's where the gazelle actually is wiser and intuitively and instinctually knows how to release and discharge energy better than most of us. Wow. So when these things get stored into our brain um, and suppressed there, do they come out other ways? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's where dysregulation comes in, okay. right? If this, if the trauma gets stored inside of us. And I'm really talking about anything traumatic. It could be um, 
a car accident. It could be the loss of a job because of an addiction. It could be a recent fight with a spouse. You know, it, it doesn't have to be what we call a, a big T trauma. It could be a little T trauma as well. But either way, it, it needs to find its way out. And actually, this is the part that's interesting when it comes to addiction. If somebody's walking around dysregulated too long, like if they're walking around too depressed or too rageful or too anxious or too shut down, that's when they're more vulnerable to relapse. Wow. Okay. Right. And that's why this discussion is so important because we don't want folks to be walking around with too much dysregulation too much of the time because that's when it'll just be a vicious cycle and they'll end up acting out or using or going into their active addiction again. So let's just backtrack a little bit because you talk about regulation and deregulation and um, those seem those terms are used more and more and um, I hear them in the healing community a lot can you explain a little bit about the difference of those and what those look like sure so I'll start with regulation since that's hopefully our goal and and what all of us doesn't matter what our background is want, want to feel more of the time So I think of the three R's. This is my easy way of thinking of it. Regulation, resourcefulness, and resiliency. And when we're feeling more regulated, more resourceful, and more resilient, how how do you suppose you feel, Sue, when when you're feeling all of those more of the time? I would say on the right path or feeling... Like I'm doing the right thing. Okay. And what might you be feeling internally? Do you have any (laughs) guesses about that? No, I think what you said was right on. Yeah, well, probably just calm and at ease. Sure, yeah. So calm and at ease. Oftentimes people will say things like, I I just feel more like myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had clients say, I feel like my humor is more intact. I feel more buoyant. And the idea is that when we have more awareness of either being regulated or dysregulated, that's the starting place, okay? So when we're feeling more like ourselves, that's a wonderful thing, right? right? And hopefully we have an awareness of, oh, when my humor is intact, when I'm feeling a sense of hope, when I'm feeling connected to others, all of those things usually are signs of regulation and resourcefulness and resiliency. But what happens is life comes along, (laughs) and I'll give you an example. Um, I went to my yoga class earlier today, and of course, I adore the teacher, and I, I just love the feeling it gives me. I feel more calm, peaceful, and grounded every week, pretty much. Nice, yeah. Yeah. It's a good feeling. But unfortunately, in Los Angeles, as we know, we have a lot of traffic, And there was a guy that cut me off like five minutes after my class. Mm. And (laughs) luckily I didn't get hurt or or into an accident. It was a little close. But right right at that point, right, I'm I'm noticing your breath changed. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened for me too. My, My breath got short. I got really anxious. And I was really worried that something was going to happen to me or, or to my vehicle. And so that's, that's like a, a little example, a little example right. of how I went from being calm, grounded, and peaceful, and really like savoring that. Like the on the ground. That's right. Okay. 
we'll come back to yeah. that. <laughs> to to a, a highly yeah. um, what's the word? To agitated, to agitated or activated state. Yeah. Right. So that was worrisome, right? Because the the idea for for me and and for all of us is when we get activated like that, when we get dysregulated, and I use those terms kind of interchangeably, okay. hopefully we can find our way back to a regulated So what state did you quicker. think in that moment? Because you just, you were conscious of how you were feeling when you came out of yoga. Yeah. How did you feel the second that happened? Well, my, my heartbeat went really fast. Mm-hmm. I got really pissed off. I was I was not happy that he cut me off. And, and I also felt like there was this moment of danger, right? It was mm-hmm. like a threat in the environment. And he didn't mean to do it. I don't think it was intentional. Right. I don't think he was right. really paying attention to what he was doing. But the point is that any threat in our environment, whether it's from a relationship or a car or a past memory that keeps getting triggered, that something happens inside of us that brings us back to that moment or creates that feeling of not feeling as calm, grounded, and peaceful as we might like, right. you see. So what do we do about that? How do we stop that from happening? Or do we? are we supposed to stop it? Or you know, how do we move on? Right. I think that's the key is how do we move on? The, the idea behind this talk today really is the awareness of when we get activated or dysregulated and how do we find our way back more effectively so for instance i called a friend actually after this incident earlier because i knew if i made contact with somebody that that would regulate me that would really help me feel less alone and and help me feel more calm again that somebody who's very calm and mm-hmm. rational and loving and and so that helps so that's number one but sometimes it takes a therapist right if if we've got a whole slew of memories and traumatic capsules in our in our brain um sometimes it's really really important to find a therapist who can help us learn what it means to find our way back and and it's not easy it's, it's almost like a um a muscle like a nervous system muscle that we have to learn and and there are different skills and ways to do that but i would say the first thing is to know when we're off from where we want to be okay. and then when we're feeling more on and everybody has different coping skills survival skills right. so there's not a one size fits all but i, I really believe strongly that a lot of us don't know when we're dysregulated because unfortunately we get used to it. Right. But if we find ourselves back more quickly, um, more efficiently, and we know, oh, I've got to call a friend or I've got to take some deep breaths or I need to find a way to, um, to reconnect with myself. Maybe I need to stop the car and go for a walk. I mean, whatever it takes. Right. Sometimes we have to be creative. (laughs) Well, I like all those uh, action steps. Do you have any one in particular that you could recommend to our listening audience? Well, one of the action steps that that I believe in really strongly is is this whole idea of building awareness of your body. So because a lot of us, especially men, I believe, tend to be talking heads, right, Mm -hmm. where we're highly intellectualized, 
um, kind of walking around frozen and not really knowing what's happening in our bodies, I think the first thing is to really work with a, a some kind of somatic therapist, right? doesn't matter whether it's an SE practitioner, somatic experiencing, that is, mm-hmm. uh, a brain spotter, a sensory motor psychotherapist. There's lots of different trainings and certifications out there. But to find a therapist who understands addiction, and in particular sex addiction, if that's your background, and someone who's trained well in one of these areas and is highly recommended, because there's something about being guided and learning about what the body is really saying that makes a huge difference. So that that would be my my suggestion about a particular action step. Um, I just want to back up a little bit. Sure. How how is that connection between our body and our in our head? Can you talk a little bit about that connection and how sure. we bring those two things together? When we spend a lot of time in our thinking brain, which most of us do, it's one way of of walking in the world. But I'll tell you what the difference became when I started working with the body and working with clients from more of a what I call a brain-body perspective or we could call it a somatic perspective, um, I started asking different questions. And so instead of just saying, how do you feel about that? Any thoughts about that? I would stop and I would say, huh, I'm wondering what's happening physically for you right now as you said that. And generally... I say that when I notice something happening in their body. Mm-hmm. So let's say somebody starts tapping their foot, right? It's not just a nervous habit. It's the body trying to communicate something. And so I'll say something like, I noticed when we were talking about your mother, you started tapping your foot. I'm wondering if, if you noticed that and if we can just pay wow. attention to it and see what happens next, mm-hmm. right? The same thing with things like if 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 some clients have difficulty identifying different things happening specifically in their body, I'll broaden the question. So, Sue, what's happening internally right now? Thoughts, feelings, sensations, images, memories. Nice. Right. Yeah. So, not to feel you get pressure. The whole picture. Absolutely. What's going on? What that person's going through? Because the pain body is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Do you want me to answer that? <laughs> sure. What's happening in, in, internally right now? Well, my right back now? is a little sore from, okay. I think, the position I'm in. Okay. So, um, and I think, like, my stomach is is a little, di- it's digesting. So, I'm feeling, like, feelings in my stomach, as you, maybe you are, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, other than that. I mean, those are the two things that I'm kind of dealing with while I'm listening and talking to you. Yeah. So for now, what I recommend is that you just be curious about it and just notice non-judgmentally what's happening inside of you. Nice. Yeah. And, And we'll just track that together because tracking sensations in the body is an art. It's not an easy thing to do. But if you're able to notice from head to toe what's happening at any given moment, you have more information to work with. Yeah, that's great. It helps fill in the whole picture. Exactly. And I think that's important, too, like in the traditional talk therapist that you spoke about earlier, in having, identifying what's going on in your brain, too, you know, because a lot of people 
will react or have those feelings unknowingly or they're not conscious of why they're reacting a certain way. Um, but if you follow the thoughts a little closer and are aware that, oh my gosh, this keeps happening to me over and over and over and tied together with the, with the body and the pain, that's, it's a good way to, to connect that. Um, when you spoke about the trauma, whether it's a big T or a little T, um, identifying that and then also identifying the, the pain in the body when that comes up. So Right. And pain comes in all shapes and forms, right? right. It's physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. So we're really opening the net or we're widening the net and sure. seeing what, what what is going on in there. And just to clarify, I, I haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. That talk therapy will always be my foundation and working with somatic experiencing and brain spotting has actually added layers to what I've always done. So I get to pick and choose and and my clients get to pick and choose what works for them at any given time. Do you find that um, you just, you pull in from each one of them for different people or you're using them across the board? A little of both. I mean, some, some clients really gravitate towards all of it Mm -hmm. and some will just gravitate towards some of it and and generally it's interchangeable where some sessions a client will come in and say you know i want to do a brain spotting session today or they'll come in and say you know i i I really just need to talk and process what's coming up through my brain spotting and what happened during my week wow so we just decide as we go there's again there's no cookie cutter answer right 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 everybody's different but need to have different options Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I like learning all about this. I believe as much as we know, we don't know. And that if we were having this talk 15, 20 years from now, it would be a very different conversation. And when I was in grad school in the early 90s, we didn't learn about the nervous system. I mean, maybe a little bit about the fight flight response, parasympathetic versus sympathetic. But as related to addictions, what I'm really focusing on is how do we reduce the vulnerability to relapse? And so with sex addiction, I believe that this is a missing component. This is really like a missing link of healing. And when people have more awareness and more ability to work with their nervous system and strengthen their nervous system and really find ways of bolstering their regulation resourcefulness and resiliency that's a mouthful to say over and over but you know that that that's where it's all about that's where people not only get to learn about themselves but feel more agency over who they are and the choices that they make great well sounds like you're on on the right path here I believe so. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I'm interested to see where it goes. Me too. And I, I really appreciate you joining me today. I know this is a, a scientific topic, really, that we're trying to bring into user-friendly terms. And in some ways, I'm glad I'm not a scientist <laughs> and, and that I don't, I'm not a brain expert. But I feel like I, I get to bring my own approach, my own language to what we what we're learning and how it can really be applicable and practical for those who are struggling with sex addiction or in long-term recovery from sex addiction. Can you share with us the specific differences between talk therapies and um, somatic therapies? 
in simple terms, there's a few things that distinguish talk therapy from somatic therapies like brain spotting and somatic experiencing. So for instance, in talk therapy, as I talked about before, we focus on the thinking brain or what we call the neocortex. In brain spotting and somatic therapies, we focus on the subcortex, which we also call the emotional brain. Talk therapy, naturally, has more talk involved. Somatic therapy is much less talk. We're going to ask our clients what's going on inside. Just sit with that. Let's see what happens next. Mm -hmm. We take things at a much different pace and there's much less talk. Talk therapy tends to be longer term, usually in my practice, where brain spotting, somatic experiencing can be much shorter term or it can be woven into a longer term experience of therapy. Now, talk therapy is really about insight and awareness and understanding what themes and patterns you've experienced in the past. On the other hand, brain spotting and somatic experiencing focus on the nervous system. And lastly, somatic awareness, focusing on what is going on in the body, is where somatically focused therapies spend the time, right? In talk therapy, it's about self-awareness, it's about understanding, it's about learning about oneself in terms of one's blueprint in life, etc. But it's really about that cognitive understanding much more so than the somatic body awareness piece and, and, and integration that goes along with that. Well, thanks for sharing all your knowledge with us. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks again to my friend Sue Merlino for joining in the conversation about regulating the nervous system. We just want to remind you that we're always looking for five-star ratings on iTunes. And if you have any comments or suggestions for future podcasts, please let me know. And we would be happy to put that together for you. Thanks for joining us.